Who's ready to go work out after watching that? Man, that makes me want to go work out. How many guys, I know we got a few of you in here. How many of you guys are doing the Spartan with us in July? Anybody doing the Spartan with us? A few of you, yeah. If you could pray that I don't have cardiovascular failure, uh, that'd be great. Uh, I do all right in the weight room, but I'm not much of a runner. So uh, yeah, that's fun. We, I think we got like 25 people from the church and we got this little team trace that we put together. So that, that's going to be fun. Hey, uh, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new with us, we're incredibly grateful and honored to have you with us. Uh, let me let me begin this way. Like, have you ever got your have you ever got stuck, or have you ever been in a situation where you were caught red-handed? Maybe that's the best way to say it. Did you ever have a situation where you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar, if you will? And maybe that takes you back to a time when you were younger. Maybe that takes you back to a time when you did get your hand. Literally, uh, you got caught, you know, with your hand in the cookie jar. And as you're kind of thinking through that, maybe this will jog your memory. Check this out. Whose idea was this? Did you think this was a good idea? Look at brother's face. Who got the paint out? Brother did? <laughs> I love it. Well, today we're uh, actually going to be looking at a story in the Bible where a woman gets caught literally with her pants down. Today we're going to be looking at the story of the adulterous woman. It's in John chapter 8, and so if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn them open or turn them on, and you can find your way over there. And many of you know that I've often used this particular story to illustrate how Jesus led with grace, and he backed it up with truth. Now, if you're new here, these two principles are incredibly important to us. Where we get our name trace is the word truth and grace put together, and that's where we get our name trace. And so we talk about the fullness of truth and grace a lot. A few weeks ago, we talked through the Gospel of John, or specifically John chapter 1, uh, where it says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And so one of our biggest hopes here is that we can do our best to pursue the fullness of both grace and truth in everything that we do here. Now, there is something else about this particular passage of Scripture that I think is worth noting for you today. And so if you're a Bible reader, which I hope you are, if you're not, I hope you become a Bible reader, you would note, you'll notice that when you get to John chapter 8, that there's typically a footnote or maybe something in the margin that says that, well, it says something like this. These early manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7.53, which is just a small little statement, through John 8.11. And more specifically, this is the story of the adulterous woman. Now, why am I taking the time to go through this with you? Because I actually think it is important. As we're becoming students of God's Word, I think it's important to note where there are a few things that we maybe want to look at differently. Now, I'm going to give you two different theories on why they think that the, these or this particular story wasn't a part of the early manuscripts. And so theory number one is this, that there was a scribe that, and for those of you new to the church really quick, I'll describe what a scribe is. A scribe is someone that was responsible for copying uh, down the manuscripts, copying down the scriptures and the ancient texts because they didn't have printing presses back then. And so the only way that you could get more you know, manuscripts, more scripture in rotation is by having somebody that would sit down and, and to copy that out. Now, they were charged to do this meticulously and they really did an incredible job. If you look back through history, you'll see that if they made even the smallest of errors, if they missed a period, if they missed a comma, they would actually destroy the entire manuscript and start from scratch. So they, they really took this job seriously. And so the first theory is that a scribe who would have been copying down these ancient manuscripts in the text 
uh, and even the New Testament, that he would have heard this story. The story would have been what's, what was part of oral tradition. And because there wasn't a lot of literate people back during this time, oral tradition was a really big deal. And so if oral tradition um, was you know, kind of floating around with this story, a scribe kind of caught onto it. He knew that it had credibility for whatever reason. He knew that there was a, this, this story was credible. And so he, he actually added this story much later after the Bible was canonized in the fourth century. That's theory one. Theory one. The second theory is that it was in, included in the early text. It was included in the early manuscripts, but it was taken out and then later put back in. Let me tell you why. Early in church history, there was a lot of sexual sin that was happening, and so what would happen is that people would come into the church, or maybe they'd be called into the church because they were caught in adultery, or they heard that you know, this person or these, this couple committed adultery, and so they'd be called into the church, and that people would point to this passage where Jesus forgives this woman caught in adultery. And so church leaders, the theory goes, the church leaders thought that Jesus was too soft on the subject, and so they removed this text from the scriptures, and then later a scribe added it back in. Now, for what it's worth, uh, in my own personal research, I think there's a lot more credibility to not that particular theory, but the theory that a scribe just added this in at some point in church history because it was a part of oral tradition. So, where does that leave us today as we get ready to study this together? Here's where I'm at for what it's worth. I think this story lines up with who Jesus is. It doesn't contradict with the rest of Scripture, so there's no need for us to dismiss its teachings. However, we should always keep into consideration the fact that this particular text was not a part of of the early manuscripts, specifically the ones that were considered doctrine uh, or th that were canonized as the um, holy word of God in the fourth century. So with that being said, I do want us to lean into this story today because I think it has incredible application for each of our lives. So with all of that being said, let's begin in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Here's how it begins. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. Now one of the things that I want to highlight and want you to pay attention to throughout this text are the different postures of Jesus. This is going to be important. So at this point, he sits down to teach in the temple courtyards. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, but what do you say? Now, although this may sound absurd to us today, this idea that somebody's getting ready to get stoned to death for a mistake that they made in their life. These religious leaders and Pharisees are just following through in what the law of Moses taught. In Leviticus chapter 20 specifically, we see different, several different laws that actually point to the death penalty. If you were to break one of these laws, then it requires death. And for what it's worth, some of us would not have made it out of our teenage years underneath this law. And so you should be thankful for the covenant of grace. Amen? Yeah. But when it came to this specific sin, which is a grievous sin, it was then and it is today, this act of adultery, here's what the Bible had to say, specifically the law of Moses. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, says, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress, are to be put to death. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 22, it says, If a man is discovered committing adultery, both he and the woman must die. In this way, you will purge Israel of such evil. Now, maybe this is a good time to remind you that this is underneath the old covenant. This is underneath a covenant that we no longer live under. This is the covenant that Jesus came to fulfill. And not only did he fulfill it, but he negated our need to follow through on these laws. And so with him, he brought, not only did he fulfill, did he fulfill the old covenant, but he brought with him a new covenant, the new covenant of grace. Now, it's probably important for us to note here that the religious leaders, man, they weren't, they weren't as concerned about this woman sinning as they were about trying to trap Jesus. We'll get there here in just a few seconds. But remember, like, so Jesus comes into, you know, he comes into this world and he brings with him a new covenant. And he himself actually has something to say on the subject of adultery. But one of the things that he does that the law of Moses didn't do is he actually brings it back to the condition of her heart. Something that we don't see through, typically throughout the Old Covenant. And so when he talks about this, it's a little bit different. We see this in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, If you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So let's jump back into the story. Jesus is he's sitting down. And he, likes, he likely hears commotion coming in his direction. And so you can imagine he's turning to see what's happening. And all of a sudden, a woman is thrown down in front of him. And again, like I said just a moment ago, these religious leaders, man, they're not so much worried about this woman's sin as they are trapping Jesus. Because they aren't a fan of this guy. They aren't a fan of the fact that he's claiming to be the Messiah. They're not a fan of the fact that he's teaching this idea of mercy and forgiveness and grace. What they want, what these religious leaders want is they want God's wrath. They want God's justice. Now, you maybe have heard me say this before, but God is a perfect balance of both wrath and mercy. God is a perfect balance of justice and mercy. And Jesus took God's wrath with him to the cross. Maybe this is an important thing for us to remember today. When Jesus went to the cross, he took with him God's wrath. He took what we deserved as punishment, and he nailed it to a cross. He was put in a tomb, but when he walked out of that tomb, he left God's wrath behind, and he walked out with this new covenant of grace. And we should be thankful for that. In verse 6, let's pick up. They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down. Again, notice the posture. He stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, and so we really don't know how long this is transpiring. Jesus could have been writing for a while. They kept demanding an answer, and so then he stood up again. He said, all right, if this is how you want this to go down, here's how we'll do it. But let the one who has never sinned before throw the first stone. You, you step up to the plate. We'll let you go first. And then notice, then he stooped down again and began to write in the dust. Now, I want to spend some time here because there's a lot of conjecture among scholars on what Jesus was actually doing when he bent down to write in the sand. Some people would argue that when he bent down to write in the sand, he's actually writing the names of the religious leaders and the Pharisees in the sand, and beside their names, he's writing down their sins. Now, as much as that makes for a great story, I actually don't think this is the case. 
Because I think if it was the case, I think the gospel writer here, John, he probably would have mentioned that. Here's what I believe. I think Jesus liked to doodle. And I'm only half joking. You see, we have a tendency to over-spiritualize everything that we read in God's Word, and in the process of doing that, we forget about the humanity of the people behind the pages. I think it's possible that in this moment, listen to me, I think in this moment, Jesus may have needed some time to process. There's a woman's life on the line. And so he decides to lean down and doodle for a second. Some of you may argue, Aaron, I don't know if I'm buying this. I mean, you're talking about Jesus. He's God in the flesh. Why in the world would he need time to process? And I think that's a fair question. But I think we see in a few different places throughout the Gospels, times where Jesus needed some time to process. And maybe the one that's most notable is in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is pleading with the Father. God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, can we, can we go that direction? Because what I know is about to happen is not going to be easy, but you and I know that that was the only way. Friends, remember that Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And so I think, well, let me say that differently. I think to think that he maybe had to process sometimes, it doesn't make me question his divinity. It actually makes me appreciate his humanity. So in this moment, with a woman's life on the line, I think Jesus is taking a moment to think about his response. Because with the right response, people are going to drop their stones and walk away. I want to take a time out here and spend some time on this particular idea of responding. Because unfortunately, friends, I think too many of us are kind of going through life reacting to what life puts in front of us, not responding. Let me tell you the difference between the two. See, when we react to life, it's a reflex, right? It's a reflex to a situation. It's quick, and it's usually not thought through. But when we take the time to respond, it is thought through. It takes time to process a little bit, and then we can come forward with an intentional response the way that we want to. How many of you feel like you react to your kids more than you respond to your kids? Yes, yeah. Hear me out on this. Oftentimes, when it comes to reacting, I think we have to apologize. When we take the time to respond, I don't think we have to apologize nearly as much, but when we react to situations, we often find ourselves on the other side of whatever that situation was needing to apologize. I have four kids, and so I have to do this on almost a weekly basis. But a good response, it can de-escalate a situation. A good response can cause someone to think differently. A good response can bring understanding to a situation. A good response is filled with both grace and truth. And in this case, with this adulterous woman, the way that Jesus responds saves her life. Let's pick up in verse 9. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. And if you listen, you can almost hear the stones hitting the dirt floor as they walk away. They slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with this woman. I want to ask you a rhetorical question today. What stone, what stone do you feel you repeatedly throw at people? What stone do you feel like you repeatedly throw at people? Maybe it's how other parents parent. 
Maybe it's moms who work or they don't homeschool. Moms, you can be the worst about this sometimes. Maybe it's Muslims. Maybe you judge people who watch The Bachelor. There, there are justifiable stones. I'll, I'll give you that. You know what makes it easier to throw stones? When we lose sight of our own sin. This is exactly what Jesus is calling these religious leaders to the carpet on. They've lost sight of their own sin. So he says, hey, if, you, if you're that guy that doesn't have any sin, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Feel free, you go first. Let me remind you, it's so much easier to throw stones when we lose sight of our own sin. That's why Jesus says, hey, why don't you remove the log out of your own eye before you point out the speck of sawdust in someone else's? This could be your takeaway today. Maybe you find yourself here today and you're a stone thrower. I think we've all been there. I think we all have to own up and say, yeah, I've been there. But maybe this is something that's being repeated in your life right now. Maybe you throw your stone towards a specific group of people. Maybe you throw it towards a specific person. Or maybe it's a specific type of sin that, for whatever reason, that you've stereotyped against. Let me help you to think about this differently today. You see, one of the things that we have in Jesus is that he wants to take our penalty. And so when you throw stones at someone, what you're doing is you're casting judgment, you're casting condemnation. But think of it this way. When you throw that stone, Jesus is wanting to step in the way of it and take the hit for whoever you're throwing it at. And so you're really not throwing it at anybody other than Jesus. Maybe today you need to wrestle with God on what stone that you need to drop. Let's pick up in verse 10. Then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, Again, I want you to pause, and I want you to focus on the posture here. You see, the fact that he stood up again meant that he was kneeling down. Yep, my knee just popped. I'm 40 years old. Give me a break. And he's kneeling down, and the reason why I think this posture is so important is because some of you right now, for whatever reason, you're carrying some guilt and shame with you. And most likely it's because of something you have done, but it could have been something that was done to you. And so if, if Jesus were in here today and he was standing in front of you, maybe it would be hard for you to look at him eye to eye. But I want you to remember this moment because with this adulterous woman, I do believe that Jesus potentially was down and he was doodling, but he was also putting himself at eye level with this woman who was just caught and making a big mistake, living in that shame. And guilt. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 116.2 that says, because he bends down to listen, I will pray until my very last breath. Friends, no matter what you're carrying with you today, Jesus wants to look you eye to eye. Let's pick up. In the verse, then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Then Jesus said, neither do I. Now go and sin no more. He led with grace and he backed it up with truth. Friends, it's by the grace of God demonstrated through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that we no longer stand condemned if we hand our lives over to him. Let me remind you what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed, everybody say freed, 
It has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. In John chapter 3, John says, Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of, <clears throat> of the one and only Son of God. Let me say this in a way that maybe you've never heard it before. Because of the sin in our life, we all deserve a stone. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus, he gives us salvation. You see, the verdict on each of our lives is that we are guilty. Not one is without sin. And so the verdict on our lives is that we're all guilty, but through the grace of God, we are set free. And our response to that grace should be to go and sin no more, to leave our life of sin and wholeheartedly pursue the one who actually set us free. Last night, Emily and I went to the Hillsong concert. Anybody else in here go to the Hillsong concert? It was really good. Yeah. And so, yeah, I can see the bags under your eyes as well. It was late night, but it was really good, and we had a great time. But there was a, new, there was a song that I'd never heard before. And uh, this song had a lyric that stuck out to me, and I talked to Emily about it on the way home. And the lyric went like this. He wears a scar for every one of our mistakes. Can you just let that soak in for a second? He wears a scar for every one of our mistakes. You see, we deserve a stone but Jesus took it, and he's got the scars to prove it. So what I want to do is I want to end by getting really practical with us this morning. I want to talk to three different groups of people. For some of you, you've had stones thrown at you. You've been the recipient of some condemnation, some judgment, and it likely came from a Christian. It likely came from a church. One of the things that I get to do that I really love about my job is I get to sit down and talk with many of you and I get to hear um, how God's working in your life, but I also get to hear some really hard, hard stuff. And I know that some of you have come out of some churches that, man, they wounded you. And no church is perfect, and we're not going to be perfect, but you're still carrying that with you. And oftentimes it was because you were on the other end of maybe some unhealthy church discipline or some kind of unhealthy way that they were handling a problem in your life. And so you felt condemned and judged, and you're still not even sure what to do with that, are you? And so if that's you today, I want you to remember that you worship a God and you serve a Lord who wants to step into that stone for you. Others, maybe you're a stone thrower. Maybe you know, based on what I said a few moments ago, that you still have a tendency to pick up and throw stones at people, maybe that you just don't understand or you don't agree with. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't lead our lives with truth, right? Grace and truth. But we're not... We're not the judge. We're not the executioner. And maybe the best way to help you to maybe drop that stone more quickly than throw it is that Jesus is stepping into, into position to take the hit for whatever stone that you're throwing at whatever person. Maybe that'll help you think about that differently today. And then some of you are in here today and you're still not sure what to do with any of this. Some of you are in here and you're still asking questions and you're still wondering if this is something that you want to pursue, if this is something that you want to give your life to. Maybe you landed in here today but on the other end of an invitation or maybe you just saw our A-frame sign and you felt like, you know what, my life's not working the way that I've been leading it. And so maybe I'll give God a chance for the first time. I want you to know that our Lord and our Savior is the type of Lord that wants to take your stones for you. 
that even though you deserve death because of the sin in our life, Jesus wants to step into the path and he wants to take all of that on. And for what it's worth, he's already accomplished it. He already took on God's wrath. He already took on all of our mistakes, took it to the cross and left it there. And because of that, you can now have freedom in him and be given the gift of the Holy Spirit, which will save you. If you've never made the decision to put your trust and faith in Jesus, my hope is that you'll make that decision today. It's the best and biggest step you'll ever make in your life. And if you want to talk more about what that looks like, even if you're not necessarily there yet, I'm going to be right over here by this sign that says, I said yes to Jesus. And I would love to talk to you about the Jesus who saved my life and the Jesus that's willing to step in the way of every stone that will ever be thrown in your direction. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, this is going to land in several different places, and so God, I pray that you do what only you can do moving forward with this, this information and what we've just talked about. And so God, for the people in here that maybe have the tendency to pick up and throw stones too quickly for whatever reason, God, I pray that you remind them that those stones are hitting someone, but they're hitting Jesus. Father, I pray for those of us that have received uh, stones. Maybe we've received judgment and condemnation. Maybe it came on the other end of a church or a Christian. And so we are carrying that with us and it just kind of left a wound of shame and guilt in our lives that we're still not necessarily sure how to process through. Father, I pray you remind us of the posture of Jesus when he's kneeling down in front of this woman who didn't deserve your mercy, who didn't deserve your grace, but you gave it to her. And then for those in here, God, that are still just trying to figure this whole thing out, God, I pray that this is a glimpse for them of who you are. I pray that this is a glimpse for them of how much you love us. I pray that this is a glimpse for them that no matter how much they have screwed up, that they can still be forgiven. So, Father, I submit them to you. May this be a thin space in this next moment as we respond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.